Welcome to The Craft, a podcast that shares stories about writing and the writer's spirit. I'm your host, Sumaya Osmani, an author who found belonging from the courtroom to the craft. Join me as I navigate this craft of writing with chats on practical challenges and nurturing the creative spirit. This is The Craft. There's something about having lived a life when you can safely say you've pretty much done it all. Each adventure draws you closer to discovering the person you're meant to be. And age has nothing to do with it either. It's just about the parts that present themselves before you and picking the ones that call out to your heart. Today's guest is someone who was flung into the culinary limelight as a semi-finalist on MasterChef in 1992 when the show was in its second series. He then went on to edit Woman and Home, BBC Good Food, and founded Olive Magazine. He then switched track to become a chef hotelier in southwest France and Somerset. But many years before this, he'd also been a sub-editor in the Radio Times and even limelighted as a pianist in London. But now, he's the accomplished author of seven cookbooks, writes for The Waitrose magazine, BBC Good Food, and The Telegraph. But what I'd love to speak to him about is his more recent venture into crime fiction, or rather cosy crime, with his debut novel, Knife Skills for Beginners, that's out on the 15th of February 2024, that's next year. My guest on the podcast is Orlando Murin, who I personally got to know during my time as a committee member on the Guild of Food Writers, of which he is president. Orlando is here with me in Stirling, attending the Crime Fiction Festival, Bloody Scotland, up here in Scotland. And he's going to be talking to me about the transition from food writing to fiction and how you can manage changing genres without muddying the waters of your writing career. But first, I'd love to find out a little bit about his varied and exciting life and his very unique grandfather, who was the inspiration behind his fascination with crime and mystery. Right, so Orlando, it's great to be with you in Stirling. <laughs> Thank you for that lovely introduction, Simara. I'm, I'm very flattered by it. Um, one thing I'll just pick up from what you said is that um, I have had a long and um, varied career, but age has got something to do with it. <laughs> okay. Because I'm in my 60s, which gave me a lot of time to try out different things. And so, you know, I had five years at this, five years at that, 10 years at that. And, you know, you have quite a lot of opportunities. So I hope that young people listening won't be phased by the fact that I've done all these different things. And you missed a couple of careers out there, by the way. I know. <laughs> because I've had time to do them. And um, because I've always switched my interests frequently or, or regularly, I would like yeah. to say, um, that's enabled me to do everything that I always wanted to. Mm-hmm. But um, that being said, I didn't half leave it late doing a novel. I mean, it's terrible to write your first novel in your 60s, for goodness sake. <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> no, I think I think with the way things go, I'll probably be in my 60s by the time I write my first novel. So I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think you've you've lived an exciting... And I think that's something we can talk about is, you know, having lived and, and done so many careers for a good period of time before you switched gives you so much fuel and so much interesting ideas for a novel. Well, I've certainly met a lot of interesting 
different people and moved in different worlds. So you're absolutely right. I've got an awful lot to 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 feed upon and when i was trying to decide a setting for this is my debut novel which is a you know the most important one you write because it's the one um, that uh, encourages your publisher to uh, recommission you and encourages your public to buy more books yeah i had a wide choice of arenas in which i could have set it i could have said in fact i did once write a novel from the point of view of a restaurant pianist Okay. <laughs> so the restaurant pianists are yeah. playing away yeah. and solving crimes by looking and listening oh, to scraps of conversation. <laughs> That's your next one then. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I've got my, my hero is a chef. Family. Yeah. I'm very, and I'm very glad that I, I set it in the food world because it's a very uh, marvellous place to set it. And the the book, which is called Knife Skills for Beginners, I have to take a deep breath when I say that. It's got an awful lot of kind of lispertunity in it. Knife <laughs> Skills for Beginners. It's um, the protagonist is a food writer. By the way, he's not me, but we have certain things in common. He's a kind of food writer, a chef who became who became a food writer. And um, the setup is that um, he's just finished doing the Christmas shoot for his mag- the magazine he works for with the groaning turkey and all the trimmings <laughs> and he gets a phone call from an old friend of his saying that he, he wants a favour from Paul which is his name um, and his friend teaches at a very posh swanky cookery school in Belgravia and he's broken his arm and he wants Paul to stand in for him and Paul doesn't want to do it doesn't want to do it one bit for lots of reasons but he says oh okay I'll do it as a favour to you and you know they say that a favour never goes unpunished. Boy, does Paul end up regretting going to, <laughs> going through the door of that cookery school. <laughs> so I have a lot of fun because I've got the guests there. Yeah. And the guests are the kind of people that I've met throughout my life. But they're not. Uh, everyone wants to think that they're going to be a character in the book. They're not characters in yeah. the book. There's no one there's, one. there's one side character who's based on someone that I knew in an affectionate way. But otherwise, they are imaginary. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> Brother said, "Did you finally kill me?" And I said, "No, I did not kill you." It's <laughs> <laughs> really brilliant. Um, but you know, it's really interesting that you know you've had all this varied career, and food is one of your you know big loves. And um, I'd love to know how your childhood was when it came to food. Was it an important part of your growing up? Yeah, a very important part of my growing up. Um, my mother was a very good cook. Uh, my f- I had a very lucky upbringing that my my parents were very well off. They were this was in the sixties and seventies, and my I don't come from a smart background at all. But my parents, my father was extremely clever. He was an engineer, electric um, electronics mm-hmm. wizard, and he he worked for an American company all his life and had a fabulous career. And um, my parents kind of they made a lot of money and they spent it. So we had mm-hmm. boats and cars, and we lived in Jersey which is an amazing place mm-hmm. to be brought up. I mean, sun, sea, sand, surf, and, you know, France, just 14 miles away. It doesn't yeah. come better than that. So we, and we, tra- we travelled a lot. My father travelled constantly, but the family travelled a lot as well. And so we, we went to restaurants all the time. And I didn't, you, when you're a kid, you don't realise how lucky yeah. you are. I mean, not every kid is grown yeah. up in hanging about in restaurants and yeah. dessert trolleys and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. Um, so I was. So I always loved food. And I always dreamed of um, owning and running a hotel mm-hmm. because we spent a lot of time in hotels. And um, I did end up doing that. And I always loved always dreamed of working in a restaurant and I ended up doing that as well as a pianist Mm -hmm. and for a short time also as a chef but not 
professionally as a chef. Mm-hmm. I only did features as um, from the point of view of what's, what's it like working in a mm-hmm. Michelin three-star kitchen. I can't hack chefing um, in, in a in a in a yeah. professional environment. It's too hard. I, I, my feet can't stand it. <laughs> I can't work those long days in that heat in, <laughs> with that not cruel aggression, but with an awful lot to yeah. do that's very urgent. So I'm not cut out to be mm-hmm. a, a, a restaurant chef. I yeah. did cook in our French hotel, yeah. but that was a bit different. I was mainly on my own there, yeah. and even then I got. Um, murderous. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Well, maybe that can be another book where you can write about. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, and so I'd love to like come to uh, your, your well, your career now as a writer. But you know, when did you start to think that? I mean, I know that the stint with uh, when you were at, in MasterChef, obviously, that must have plummeted you into this world of food professionally and of course you did the magazines but when did you think it would be really brilliant to start writing them documenting all these recipes that you wrote and and obviously cooked uh, when did it suddenly become a, a part of your life to actually put them down as books it was um master chef was what was a kind of turning point in yeah. my life before that i was a, a regular journalist i had jobs on lovely variety of different yeah. magazines but when I and I only uh, in those days, Master Chef was a celebration of amateur dinner parties. It yeah. wasn't at all as it is now. It was yeah. Lloyd Grossman, and you were encouraged to be mm-hmm. a, around an individual, and they came to your house and photographed you stroking your cat and flying your kite and doing all those <laughs> things. It was a bit, it was a celebration it was. of amateurism. Mm-hmm. It was really rather wonderful. And Sue Lawrence, the, the wonderful mm-hmm. Scottish cook, um, was the first winner, yes. and I, I was in in the year after that, but. After that, I got projected in magazines towards f- food areas of magazines, and I became I was appointed editor of BBC Good Food, really on the strength that they knew that I was fascinated by food. Mm-hmm. So that's when it all started. And then um, I always t- I'd always enjoyed as a sub editor editing recipes because I like that t- technical kind of detail mm-hmm. that appeals to me, and I like cooking. Of course, I've always liked cooking, so it became natural to, to record mm-hmm. them in books to to. To put them in books, and I was very lucky that I managed to get a column in the a daily column in the Express newspaper, writing a recipe every day. So that soon accumulates enough to to form a book, and then another book, and then another book, yeah. and so I went on. And then I've always enjoyed writing cookbooks ever since. And when I get an idea that I can um, make a publisher interested in, mm-hmm. then I settle down and write that book. And I like to throw myself into it. I do it in about three, four, five, six months, flat, wow. hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it's finding the idea that the mm-hmm. publishers want. And yeah. I, to encourage anyone who who um, thinks that it's um, that, they're, that they're not good enough to write a cookbook, I can assure you that however experienced and um, well-known you are, not I'm particularly well-known, but um, it, you have to put at least 10 or 15 cookbooks ideas out there yeah. in order to get one that a publisher wants. Absolutely. You don't just walk in with an idea and they say yes, yeah. unless you're... Jamie Oliver, of course, Dean, yeah, well, yes, someone like the that, big, big names. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so, do tell me that um, I want to delve in a little bit into your big leap into crime writing, and but I like that you've kept the food flavor going. Um, tell me a little bit about where the inspiration came from, because I hear that your grandfather was a um, met detective. Yeah, and then later on became an interrogator for the MI5. Yeah, what a I, life. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, my 
my parents were very they're both quite clever people. Mm-hmm. My mother did cryptic crosswords. My father, as I said, was an engineer who could solve any kind of problem you threw at me. He used to mend boilers and washing machines and things like that. We, <laughs> we didn't. Uh, it used to be very annoying that he insisted on doing it himself, but but he could do anything. And my mother was very very clever and marvelous at table tennis and things like that. Just very very quick. Um, so they're very intelligent. But my mother's father. Um, and, and these were, these are people from, you know, normal kind of stock, as it were. They, mm-hmm. they were not born with any advantages. He was born in Pimlico in uh, 1904, I think, and he just became a, a copper on the streets. Um, and then from that, he, he, he rose and he, he got a job in Soho, in the, in the police in Soho, and he became a detective. He became very good at solving crimes. And, he absolutely adored his days before the war of actually solving murders in Soho. And he used to love talking about his murders. That was all he was allowed to talk about mm-hmm. because at the beginning of the war, he was moved into MI5. Now, I'm not quite sure how he got moved into MI5, but I know he was a Freemason mm-hmm. and that it was quite Masonic. That mm-hmm. might even be Masonic to this mm-hmm. day, but he got moved into MI5 and he, he was the most courteous charming, gentle, polite man um, with a a gentle sense of humour. He would not hurt a fly. And he was the most marvellous interrogator Mm -hmm. because he would just calmly, patiently and adorably Mm -hmm. just go over things, making notes of everything, and then he would go away and figure it out. Mm -hmm. And he was very clever. He would work out that this did not match up with this. This, Mm -hmm. Why didn't this match up? So then he'd talk to them again and go over it again. And he'd talk about fishing and gardening and whatever they wanted to talk about, not in an evil, conniving way, but he he loved, mm-hmm. he had lots of hobbies. Then he'd go over it and he'd plot it again. Now, this is much like plotting a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. You have to go over and over again what the people say, piece it together, find the clues. Is that a clue or is that a red herring? Was it simply a mistake or is it a cover-up? Mm-hmm. And it's very, very crafty, and it uses a bit of your brain, which I think many people don't ever use, unless perhaps they do you cryptic crosswords. Yeah. That's the nearest thing that I can think of. Yeah. So I've always enjoyed using my brain yeah. in in clever kind of ways. Yeah. So when it came to the idea that I would like to write a crime novel, because mm-hmm. I decided that's what I'd like to do, because I'm, I like reading crime novels, mm-hmm. they're commercial, I like people reading my work. I don't mm-hmm. just want to write for my own pleasure or for the posterity, perhaps. Yeah. I want people to enjoy it and make them laugh and cry and, and figure things out. Yeah. Um, I thought to myself, I, I can do the, uh, the the kind of plotting part with all the clues and the and making, making it difficult to yeah. work out who did the murder. And then I've got the, the other big things are the characters and the setting, which I'm just very interested in. I love buildings mm-hmm. and houses and interiors. Characters, I love characters. I've met so many people that it was fun to work out some new Mm -hmm. characters that I could put in the book. And so it began to come together. But as it began to come together, I can say that the plotting became harder and harder. And I had no idea how difficult it is to write a convincing murder mystery where the (laughs) clues are there, where it would have been possible for the reader to work it out if they'd been sufficiently observant. Mm -hmm. But you make it impossible for them to work it out because it's so so well disguised. So that they say at the end, oh, why didn't I see that? Um, You mean that was happening all along? 
So it was an enormous pleasure for me because all the three in big ingredients of a, of a crime novel appealed to me. Yeah. And um, I adored my grandfather. He had some very famous cases when he was in MI5. He, he, um, he broke something called the Portland Ring. He, he uh, was one of the um, officers that arrested Lord Haw Haw. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he arrested Klaus. He, 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 secured a confession from Klaus Fuchs, who was an atomic mm-hmm. spy. Um, and he's, um, he, Philby said, uh, his, my grandfather's name was Scarden, mm-hmm. which is actually a really good name. I'm wondering whether yeah, I should have really changed my name. <laughs> if I hadn't name. been called Orlando Murren for my cookery career, <laughs> I would definitely have used granddad's surname because it's a really mean it name, Scarden. It is a Scarden, nice name, yeah. Scarden, maybe. isn't it? Well, maybe I could write a new series under, under <laughs> yeah. the name of, name of Scarden. Um, Kim Philby, after he, um, I was going to say eloped, after he escaped to, to Russia, he said, the only man I feared was Scarden. Oh, <laughs> which I like very much. Yeah. And there was a play written called Pack of Lies, which was a, a very, um, very successful play on the West End, in, which told the story of one of my grandfather's big cases. And right. my grandfather was um, played by Joss Ackland, wow. wearing a white raincoat. And we took my grandfather to see it. And he said, I never wore a white <laughs> raincoat. But he did smoke a pipe, yeah. which happened in the, in the play. He did smoke a That's pipe. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I love that you made this transition not but it's very I think in a way it's very organic for you because you you know you're combining love and you're combining memories of your childhood and things that inspired you as a child and you're bringing together into a crime mystery um into a book that is you know something that most people would think wow okay you were writing cookbooks and now you're writing crime fiction but it feels almost an extension of of what you've been doing and what you've been exposed to all your life so one of my questions for you is for for many writers out there and you know myself included, you know, working your way from one genre of writing to another, you know, it can feel quite daunting, number one, because it's quite a difficult thing to do. But secondly, a lot of people are worried about uh, disturbing the sort of balance of one genre that you're known for and then jumping into another. Would you dilute your genre or your, you know, would you start being looked at with a little bit of suspicion? So, you know, give me a little bit of thoughts of how one can work around that. And is it easy to make that shift? And what should one consider? It's a very interesting question. Um, As someone who has jumped around, when I look at my career, I wonder whether I should have jumped around as much as I did. And I when I'm when I advise young friends, sometimes ask me about things, I say, you need to stick at things. You can't just if you like, something you know flippity jibbit off away and Mm. do it so in my life i did do things for five or ten years Mm -hmm. as i say the benefit of being in your 60s that you've had plenty of five or ten years (laughs) to play with more than someone who's younger so younger people listening don't worry you've got you've got your, (laughs) your your time ahead of you um in this particular case because I, I knew it was going to be a culinary crime novel, mm-hmm. I felt it was sufficiently related to what I did before that it wouldn't wreck my food career. Mm-hmm. And I haven't found that to be the case. Mm-hmm. But having done it, um, I, it has been the most amazing experience, way beyond in excitement what I thought it would be. And that is because I love the food world, but I didn't realise that there was a whole crime writing world out there, which is 
equally fun and welcoming yeah. and hilarious and they like a good time as much mm -hmm. as the food people do as well yeah so i've stepped through a kind of curtain into another wonderful world without actually having lost the previous one yeah. so now i've got my lovely food people who i adore and i've always thought that food people are the most fun to mix yeah. with of, of, <laughs> of every everyone yeah. the food writers are the, the best fun i think mm -hmm. um and now I've got the crime writers as well. Mm -hmm. And the crime writers are famous for having fun. Yes. They're, they're they really are. jolly people. They, are. they get it all out on the page and <laughs> then they have, have, kill off have, all the have, people. A, have a good time. <laughs> so I'm really thrilled. Um, now, my, when I decided that this is what I wanted to do, and I did make a conscious decision, I said, if I'm going to write this novel, I'm going to do it now. This was two, two or two and a half years ago. Um, I said to myself, it, it is now or never. I, and I remember saying the words, I am in deadly earnest about this. I'm going to do it. So I wrote half a book and I took it to my cookery agent, my cookbook agent. I said, oh, great news. Orlando's written a novel. And she said, ah, not such great news because she already has another uh, cookbook author who had done the same thing. Right. It was a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. So to cut a long, a long and very tragic story short, I found myself on my own yeah. in the world of fiction without an agent, with no head start whatsoever, yeah. which was heartbreaking. I thought to myself, I've Oh, I've come all this way. I've done all these things. I've lived all these years. I haven't got an agent for my fiction. I've got, I'm like, I'm like a member of the public. Well, you <laughs> might well say, why shouldn't you be a member of the public? Because, you know, why, do, why should I deserve a lucky break? Well, I didn't have one. So I had to send it off like yeah. anyone else, get the manuscript sorted out, send it off and, um, you know, hope for the best. And, for 40 days and 40 nights, I was in the wilderness, not a, not a message. And then I got two agents interested and I chose one and then he sold it into the best publisher. I say that because I love them. They're Tram Transworld is my yeah. publisher. So we had a very happy ending, but we, we needn't have had. Yeah. Um, and in that journey, there was one person who was really important who I'm very, very happy and love to give credit to, which was... By accident, I thought that it would help me to prepare my manuscript for submission by having some professional eyes on it. Yeah. So I, by looking on the internet, I found, I looked at, they're called literary agents, freelance literary agents, who will help you with your manuscript to yeah. do that thing. And I happened to find one who appealed to me because she'd had magazine experience. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, well, we know the world of magazines. We know that crackpot, psychotic <laughs> bunch of nutcases we can at least sympathize about those and she was quite wonderful and i'm going to give her a name check here she's called lynn curtis you mm -hmm. can find her um, online lynn, really? curtis. lynn curtis and she was amazing and she effectively became my mentor yeah. she had strong views on the setting the characters the way that, that that it should be written the handling of the drama and i learned an enormous amount from her she was absolutely brilliant and that meant that i had a decent book yeah. to take to send in on on submission yeah. that being said when the when transworld got hold of it to my amazement no one ever told me this you do an awful lot of extra rewriting mm -hmm. the for commercial fiction where they're trying to turn it into a bestseller and thank you transworld for trying to turn it into bestseller yeah. it's what i want as well they know exactly what needs doing yeah but the amount of extra work of rewriting and rewriting and restructuring and they're called edits, the dreaded edits. The dreaded was edits. was amazing, amazing. And um, it was uh, a lot. Uh, I mean, it was probably as much work again as writing the book. Yeah. So if anyone's thinking of doing it, be prepared for that. It's mm -hmm. perfectly normal. And one's lucky to have 
but to be working with such experts, frankly, because these guys know what they're doing. Yeah. I suppose in many ways, having um, a new agent was probably a good thing because you do need a fresh start when you're looking into a different genre and someone who really gets it. And in a way, maybe it was serendipitous that the situation arised where there was a conflict of interest for you. I think it was mm. because I love my new agent and he specializes in, well, he specializes in several things, but crime is one of the things that he specializes in. So that was very good. And that meant that I got the very good, very good crime publisher. So yes, it did all work out happily, but I do still feel very sorry for people who are very good writers mm -hmm. and have worked very hard and send their books out and, and don't have any luck. Yeah. Um, if anyone ever, I'm not inviting anyone to send me uh, their manuscripts because I'm, I'm really not qualified. But I, one thing I do think is that you need to write an awful lot mm -hmm. to get to professional level. It's, you know, the 10,000 hours that they, that I think it's, um, Malcolm Gladwell talks about in the tipping point. You have to do ten thousand hours in order to master your your um, your skill. No, you have absolutely. to do. I think you have to write um, probably a hundred thousand, oh, a few hundred thousand words. To, I would to get say there. yes, definitely. It's not before those that you start to actually write anything that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so to anyone who's in in the journey of writing at the moment, write another one. Okay. So the first one you, you didn't manage to sell. I'm sorry, you write it, right? You have to write another yeah. bomb. I've got a couple of, you know, discarded novels, yeah. you know, in my bottom drawer. Of course. Um, and I, I don't think there's anyone who just writes a novel and it, it gets published. No, I don't think so. Definitely not something as competitive as, as crime fiction in any shape or form, because, yeah. you know, you've got to get it out. And I think that whole thing of plotting and, and putting the characters and the whodunit kind of feeling is really hard. And it's not as easy as just writing a romance novel or a or a drama or, or something like a coming of age. It's it's such a different sort of yes. layered sense of writing. Yeah, exactly. And, and my editor, he said to me, You're, when I, I got very upset at one point, um, I did, you know, go into, for me, hysterics really about about the edits because I because another wave of edits came in. And I thought I'm not really sure that I can do this. And my head is spinning with all the the plot difficulties. And the problem with a a, a crime um, a murder mystery is, is if you change something on thir page thirty, I guarantee it's going to have a knock on effect on page sixty, ninety, one hundred and ten, one hundred twenty five, hundred. And mm. so it ricochets throughout of the course. book with like like a ripple effect. So that's just one small change. Ripple and ripples when you're doing lots of them it frankly it does does your head in absolutely but I, but I I know he was right and I trusted him and he he understands with because he has great experience my, my editor, editor at Transworld how you have to keep the reader engaged yeah. that you have to give them enough to go on but not give them too much to go on mm. all of which I was new at and very inexperienced so I'm glad that they have the patience to mm. stick it out although I believe they're used to going through this with people yeah but it was um it was a, a very interesting experience and I'm in in the middle now sitting sitting very near Sumara and the is a is the the second draft uh -huh. of book two ah. the, the sequel which I'm about halfway Brilliant. through doing the edits for the second book exactly and it will be the same character it's the same character be, but he has a good. he has a different adventure this oh, time nice. but i can't say what his adventure is but poor guy he does really end up in some situations <laughs> brilliant <laughs> and now we're speaking of readership and you know this is something that is quite interesting for me and, and especially for other writers who might be switching from genres is 
how can it be done elegantly? You know, when you're moving, you've got this readership that's very heavy on your recipes and your stories about food um, and your pursuits around food from your other books. But then moving into a genre that's, you know, murder mystery and crime, do you move over the same readership, do you think? Or do you think you're just going to develop an entirely different readership? Well, then you'll be feeding them. Or where where do you see that goes? That's an excellent question, Simara. And I don't have the answer to it yet because mm-hmm. I don't really know. But it is something that I've thought about. Yeah. Now, my, my novel contains recipes. I think there are five yeah, or six nice. recipes in it. but And they are brilliant recipes. And if you go to my website, you can actually see pictures of them as well as uh, the recipes written out in full. In a, so they're not actually woven into the book. But in the book, the recipes are very integral to the plot. Mm-hmm. They are, as well as being working recipes, they actually trigger different sections in the plot and lay clues. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a spoiler alert. Anyone anyone reading a murder mystery knows to look at, <laughs> pay attention yes. as, as, you, as you go along. So I've got recipes in there. But it's not a recipe book. Now, I would hope that people who know my cookbooks, and I have I have a, a loyal following, but not millions of readers of my cookbooks, I hope that they would like my approach enough, if they like fiction, to give it a go. Yeah. And I would hope that people who enjoy the, the, the book, who, and it will appeal to people who like cooking because it's set in a cookery school. Yeah. So there's a lot of cooking in it. We go through, have a lot of cookery lessons in the book. Lovely. Paul is actually watching the students very carefully while they're cooking to get clues to see if perhaps, you know, mm. what, what, if there's something going on there or which of them are, what they're not, what they're pretending to be something different from what they are. Yeah. So I would hope that if those cooks haven't read my cookbooks, that they 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 switch over to the cookbooks. Brilliant. I did, of course, offer to Transworld. I said, why don't we do a Knife Skills for Beginners cookbook? Yeah. But they said, mm, well, it's a bit early days, yeah. the spin-offs. And then I said to my cookbook agent, I said, oh, Kurt, don't you think we should do a cookbook on the back of it? And she said, oh, I'm not sure how many people will cross over. Yeah. So we don't know yeah, how many know. people will cross yeah. over. Um, but... Um, I I get the feeling that one is hoping that a commercial crime book will sell a lot more copies yeah. than an ordinary cookbook. Definitely. I so agree. from that point of view, I would hope that we're accumulating a load of new readers here mm-hmm. who might buy the cookbooks and then and buy future cookbooks yeah. as well. And, and they could always be, depending on whether it takes onto television or screen, then possibly a cookbook to go with it would yeah, be very disappointing. Yeah, yes. I, thank you, Tamara. Yes. I, I hope so too. I mean, it's... I, I did. I tend to think of scenes and settings visually. I, I think most most crime writers do, and so it is. It would it would make a very pleasant, easy TV ad- adaptation. It's Definitely. it's set in Belgravia, which is very easy to actually hire or yes. or, or emulate. It happens within about half a square mile, yeah. so it's not as if we have to travel anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The second book might be a little bit more ambitious on okay. that front, <laughs> but, but this one is, I've tried to make it easy for everyone. And um, and someone said to me, I, I, a few the, pr- the proof copies have gone out now, so they've been sent to a few people hoping to accumulate blurbs, as they're known, mm-hmm. where they say, oh, the best book I ever read, yeah. signed Dawn French or something like that. Which, <laughs> no, actually, if Dawn French is listening, I will send you a copy. <laughs> you were merely an example, darling Dawn, Dawn, Dawn French, but we, we sent out. The... Anyway, two people separately said to me, oh, you know who should play Paul when they adapt it? And I said, who? Ben Whishaw. <laughs> so I 
think I I love Ben Moore. Yeah, I'm I sure think he's he would be marvelous, and he would be absolutely yeah. perfect for it. And I, there are some characters in it who are I don't want to say larger than life, but they're certainly kind of great character parts for um, men and women, actually. So. Well, I'm really let's, ha- let's hope for best. <laughs> We're hoping for the best. <laughs> now, this is something that takes me to a question that I, I really like to ask people, especially who write crime fiction, and it's great to do a podcast with someone who does write crime, um, is why is the world so in love with crime fiction? It's like this fascination for the macabre and mystery generally that, you know, in books especially, and of course film. Where do you think that comes from? Where is that that coming from for people? Um, it's a very profound question. I mean, people wonder this an awful lot. Um, when I was in magazines, um, we some of the women's, I worked for one of Women's Weeklies, we used to publish stories of terrible things that had personal family things that had happened to people, like, you know, my 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 wife ran off with my son's boyfriend. That's that sort of thing. Or he came at me through a window with an axe. Mm-hmm. These terrible things. Yeah. And we couldn't work out really why anyone would want to read that stuff. And one theory was that you were comforted by the fact that it was happening to someone else and not to you. Yeah. That there was stuff happening in the world that, that and you were safe, mm-hmm. comparatively safe in your home. So whatever problems you had, at least you didn't have someone breaking into yeah. you with an axe, killing your boyfriend who's going out with your son's daughter or whatever it is. So there might be something that it, with crime that it's a relief to know yeah. that it's it's not actually happening to you. Yeah. Um, it, my particular branch of crime is called cosy crime, mm-hmm. which I used to think was a rather peculiar thing to call it, but um, I'm used to it now. Mm-hmm. And what it, what it means, there are, there are lots of different definitions, but really it's a, it's kind of a, a way of comforting people that in this turbulent world, things are basically all right, that mm-hmm. there is justice. Yeah. I think justice is very important. Yes. I, I think one would be one would be entitled to be angry with a crime book that did not have an element of justice, even if it was suspended or partial justice. Yeah. So a feeling of justice is mm-hmm. very reassuring and we need to we need to be it needs to be reinforced that writers, that good and bad, are uh, identifiable mm-hmm. and, and that good will triumph over bad. Yeah. We need this reassurance, particularly perhaps at times when, you know, you look in the in the news and it isn't as reassuring as it could be. Yeah. So in, in fiction it is. Yeah. With cosy crime, um, another definition of it is that Apart from the fact that it's kind of comfort in a in a turbulent world, that the the, the person who solves the the problem is not a policeman, so mm-hmm. it's an amateur. So that's quite nice in a way because you feel that um, the man on the street can be an agent for justice mm-hmm. himself, which is good. So you and I, somehow, can do some good in the world yeah. by just walking around and making better judgments than than someone bad doing doing the same thing. Yeah, um, and. It's thought that the the boom in Kate, in cosy crime, which has happened over the past two or three years, and of which I'm part of that phenomenon, was started by darling Richard Osman with mm-hmm. the Thursday Murder Club, which came down in lockdown, which mm-hmm. was a very frightening time for everyone. And it was a very well-written, very enjoyable, um, cosy crime novel mm-hmm. with um, a, a, a gang of 
um, elderly, non-professional um, murder solvers. Yeah. And that was lovely for people. And I think that people took great comfort in it. Mm -hmm. And like with Miss Marple, you feel better having read the book. Absolutely. You come out of it reassured that the, actually the world is okay. Yeah. And there's bad stuff in it. Yeah. Which is probably why I always enjoyed Miss Marple books over... Puro, because I always find found her a little bit more comforting yeah. as as a regular yeah. person who's just trying to help out. Yeah, and when I when I was thinking about plotting my crime book, one thing that worried me was that I don't like violence at all. Mm -hmm. if I, I actually don't want if, the, if there's a violence scene on television, I don't watch it because I, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I, I say, tell me when it's stopped, and my partner he can't watch it either. So <laughs> the two of us have got our eyes covered. I know it's ridiculous. So the cat will have to tell us when the when they've actually stop trying to <laughs> trying to kill each other so i don't like blood and gore at all mm -hmm. but that uh, someone i spoke to my my mentor mm -hmm. friend about this and she said don't worry about it she said just describe what you what you saw in, in a non just just what you saw it is going to be shocking because paul finds a dead body mm -hmm. but he's not feasting on it he's not enjoying about it. he's not relishing it in any way yeah. and it's just a straight description of what he sees and when i read that scene in the book i'm a little bit shocked by mm -hmm. it but it's not it is not written to shock it is quite simply a, a description of what he sees got over with as quickly as he can possibly because he faints mm -hmm. as you would do yeah so he sees the body he takes in the scene you know that terrible thing that happens with your adrenaline where you're kind of hyper alert he sees what's happening in the room takes it all in in a flood and then collapses on the floor um which is you know what i would happen to me i'm i'm not great around blood and he's the son of a doctor and a doctor's children very often faint at the sight mm -hmm. of blood for, for some reason. Um, so that's how I got over the, my worry about violence. The fact that, you know, you it, you just describe it as it is and, and don't enjoy it at all. Yeah. Um, and there is, of course, a... Um, we can, spoiler alert, I've, I've spoiled <laughs> the book by saying that someone gets killed, but I think you usually expect that in, yeah. a, in a murder mystery. Um, and as far as the murderer goes, well, um, you know, you've got a bad person in there. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there are bad people about, but if we're lucky, we don't, in our personal lives, encounter one yeah. who's going to kill Absolutely. someone. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Now, I put it... Uh, bring us to a close by asking you a question, just sort of like rounding up some of the things that you actually have mentioned through the through the talk today. Um, and that is a few tips to amateur or beginner writers about writing a murder mystery, um, especially if you've been a food writer. <laughs> because I know that a lot of food writers listen to my podcast, even though I don't always talk about food writing. But I would love to say, what are some of the skills that you can take as a food writer? which are very deductive, and start to write something like a crime story or even other fiction? Well, you're in a good position to cross over. And Pete, there have been, there are a few crossovers yeah. who, who have done it. Sue Lawrence, my predecessor, yes. has crossed over. Hers is historical crime or dra drama yeah. or crime. I think it, I think you're in a, in a very good place because it's about organisation. A crime novel in particular is about organisation. Mm. Um there are some exceptional crime writers who just start writing and then see what happens and mm -hmm. find out who, who did it at yeah. the end. <laughs> We're not quite sure whether to believe them when they say that. Yeah. They could be making it up. But most of us plot it very carefully, mm -hmm. as you would yeah. plot a recipe. So yes, the two things exactly. have very, very much in common. Um, it is said, write about what you know. So if you 
base your story in the food world, mm. then I think that it's such a tense place. I mean, I say mm. in the book, a kitchen is, is a death trap. It is. It is. <laughs> it I mean, really just is. look at it. I mean, why? who would ever nowadays... Um, invent a frying pan where you have an inflammable liquid yeah. just inches away from a naked flame, let alone a pot of boiling or a, a you know, deep yeah. fat arrangement. It would not be allowed. No. They'd say, you must be insane. No, you can't do that. Yeah. It would, it's like kind of um, lighting up cigarettes near hydrogen. It should not be done. And what about all the the sharp objects within ease, within ease? just in a drawer you've got about Half a dozen people, things that can kill people. Yeah. Well, it's all too tempting, isn't it? So, <laughs> so I mean, the, the 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 vision that inspired the the book, was, uh, Knife Skills for Beginners, was in a kitchen. I just had a vision of of how a murder had been done. So, if you, if you're a food writer, you'll there's no shortage of ways to bump your bump your person off. Yeah. And then when it comes to the the writing at length, mm -hmm. that is where it's quite different because all sorts of different skills are required. And the main thing that I had to learn was, or at least at least read up about, was a five act um, a five act strategy for your book, so that what you have act one, which is the build up act, mm -hmm. at the end of which the the huge event happens, and the second one develops it, the third one, fourth one, and the fifth one winds it all up. Yeah. So if you look at, um, I'd recommend looking at kind of screenplaying screenplay mm -hmm. uh, methods are exactly the same as a novel. Mm -hmm. So you have to get thing your bumps happening in the right places. But then you find yourself shockingly writing at great length. Now, all my life, I've had to get everything into a caption, yeah. you know, 15 words. When I started at, at Radio Times, um, the, the main job I had was to write the captions. And you had a certain number of characters, like 27 characters or 64 characters. You had, they had to, it couldn't be 62 or 24. They had to be exactly the right number of characters or they wouldn't fit. And it was, it was carved in metal in those days. So you didn't mess about. So everything had to be very, very short. To find that you've got the space to say what you want to say is takes a bit of getting used to. Yeah. And the good side of that is that it's very enjoyable finally to be allowed to say what you want to say at the length that you want to say. But then it's actually quite forbidding because you find that you're actually working on the same thing a few months later mm. that, you know, I'm not normally used to getting a feature out in... Mm. Uh, you know, a, a day or two and a, a recipe out in a day or two. But here, you know, you've um, you've got act one, as it were, which would be chapters one to eight, mm -hmm. uh, could take you a month. And so it's a long haul and you can lose confidence very easily and decide it's no good and throw it away, which is once again where Lynn Curtis came in, mm -hmm. that she was so helpful that she didn't let me lose heart because I felt I had something. So when I was, it happens in like act three or act four, you feel, oh, um, you know, I've done all this work and I feel I'm in, a, in the doldrums and is it really worth it? Yeah. And the other way that I get to the end is that I have a very clear ending of the denouement, what, what I dream of happening in the denouement so I say, look, remember, you've got that great ending to work for. You've yeah. got that big reveal. Yeah. So, you know, just stick out the tough part, mm -hmm. which is you get parts where you can't work it out. You think it's getting boring. Yeah. Then something else happens later on, which is having written at great length mm -hmm. and 
in my genre, the ideal length, uh, cosy crime is ideally 80,000 words yeah. in the UK, um, 65 in the, in the yes. United States. 80,000 here and it can be 80 to 100,000 I think for for non non cozy crime. Um I wrote about 100 or 110. Mm-hmm. So eventually you have to cut it yeah. back. But as cutting comes naturally to me mm-hmm. because I've done it all my life, yes. I enjoy the cutting back, getting yeah. it getting it back. Yeah. So I think those are the main challenges. It's a long haul and it's a it's a different feel while you're writing because you're writing at length. Yeah. I've I hadn't written dialogue before but mm-hmm. I love writing dialogue yeah. because you, if you listen to how people say things, it's incredible. It's, it's lovely, and I do write write down when I hear people say things in a in a way that appeals. Yeah, I write I write it down. So, and the only other slightly unfortunate tip that I'd have for people is that um, uh, snatches of dialogue and little flashes of idea come to you in the middle of the night, which is such oh, a I know. Use. <laughs> so I now I have my phone at the ready. I, I never have it. I don't look at my phone in, in, in mm-hmm. late evening. I have my phone at the ready and I f- touch it, turn it turns on, and I do it as a reminder mm-hmm. just briefly, with not without putting on my glasses. So yeah. sometimes it, I know. I'm decipherable what I've actually tried to <laughs> I, notate. I but, know I do but, that too. <laughs> but um, that just gets it out of your mind yeah. and enables you to go back to sleep. Absolutely. I think a lot of us are like that and we can't help it. So you need to either be able to write something down yeah. or, and that, that works for me. Without, yeah, without, without moving your partner around exactly, and putting lights on. Exactly, making yourself very popular. <laughs> Brilliant. That is so great. I thank you so much for sharing what that. All that lovely questions. Oh, thank, thank you. you. No, I'm so excited to read this book and I'm going to wait until it comes out and I'm going to get a copy and read it for sure. Um, it's a wonderful cover as well. Uh, for those of us who can't see, I will definitely put post it on our page so people can see this gorgeous it's knife got skills. Blood on it. It's got blood, blood on it and it's got gold foil. Gold foil. It's and gorgeous. it's got a uh, butler with a of a dome and Simone I hope that you all have a go at a crime novel oh I don't know about crime but no. I'm definitely looking into fiction um, so that, that's why I'm back at university just kind of working on a, on a fiction but uh, I, I think I, li- I, I quite like history um, and I like sort of uh, coming of age and I love a little bit of magical realism oh, um, so I'm definitely going to go down that route but there's definitely going to be food in it and spices in it yeah. um, and lots of magic in it and those are all very commercial branches of fiction yeah. And I, I think it's wonderful that people do high literature and that they yes. write poetry and things. Yeah. But there's a big appetite for commercial fiction. And, you know, we might as well give them the best well, that we for. can do. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I will be posting your website at the end of this, of the, of the, of the notes, as well as a link for pre-ordering. Knife skills for beginners, absolutely. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing it on the 15th of February, 2024. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I hope that you enjoy bloody Scotland here in Stirling. Yeah, I've, my impressions of Stirling so far have been absolutely grand. Um, it's, it's architecturally fascinating. It is. Very sort of um, stately and magnificent mm-hmm. and castle-like. I haven't even been to the castle yet. Um, it is. It's one of my favourite castles, actually. Lots yeah. of places to eat. They've got a lovely kitchen, by the oh, way. You'll find oh, the kitchen fantastic. very interesting oh, at Stirling Castle. Yeah. But I, I, I was an early arrival because I had to fly up from Devon and I went into the Golden Lion, which is the yeah. place where everyone meets. And there were, it was all throngs of people. I said, oh, who's here for the crime festival? And they all looked at me in absolute horror because they weren't. They wondered what on earth I was talking about. <laughs> 
I hope now, I hope now we've got some criminals in the streets. Well, I think so, you do. And, and also, I think Stirling's a great place for a setting for a crime novel, yes. I would think, because of the history around this area. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that might be one of the things up your sleeve as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Orlando. And I wish you the best of luck for Knife Skills for Beginners. And best of luck with your fiction. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Craft with me, Sumaya. If you'd love to learn more about me, my website is sumayaosmani.com. And while you're there, check out Kissa, my writing membership, where you can find flow and flourish as a writer. Inside Kissa is a thriving community of inspiring writers, monthly writing hours, and nourishing and nurturing chapters to see you grow each month and find your true potential as a writer. Doors to Kissa open four times a year, so if you join the waitlist, you'll be the first to know when the doors open. The link is in the notes below. You can also follow me on Instagram at Sumaya Osmani and send me a message to let me know if you enjoyed this podcast. So, until the next episode of The Craft, stay curious. Stay curious.